I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah. Well, you know what's real this week is what? this is 200. We've done 200 of these after we finish today, of course. I don't think that's right. Here, let me recalculate. Yeah, 200. <laughs> yeah, I think so. There's 200. I'll show you my hands and feet. Yes. <laughs> And, uh, so it might the, be the calculation easier. Right, right. <laughs> so we've got a very special guest with us today, a uh, longtime friend of the show um, and friend of mine and friend of Julie's, uh, Mark Fabian Erdel from Germany. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for thank being you very here. Much. And thank you very much for, uh, for having me, as you say, in the United States of A. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's so much fun to talk to you. And, and so far, count me in any time. If you make your 2000th broadcast, just give me a hint. <laughs> all right. Pencil yeah, me all in on, for 2000. We got it. 2000. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wonderful to have you here. Um, we've corresponded so very much. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate was, you very much. Yeah. It was very much inspiring to read from you and to find out about you and to see you work where it isn't work. Mm. You are not paid for it. You yep. are doing the work of the Lord and you're doing the work of what the culture dictates to you. And it's so privileged. I'm so privileged to be part of it just by tuning in into the so-called Internet. Mm. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. you hear so that rather strange things about about a president who is some, doing something like Twitter, for example, anyway. Uh -huh. um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so we're in an alternate reality at this point. <laughs> I see. So there's only YouTube and you and Jesse. <laughs> That's, absolutely. That's right. This is the very best use of the internet. I 100% yes. agree. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you've selected a book for us, uh, and That's it is Bluebeard by Kurt Vonnegut from yeah. 1987. So and this is a book that I've never heard of before. Is really? it famous in Germany? Not very much, not very okay. much, to be honest. Vonnegut had his most famous period in the 70s and early 80s because of books like Slaughterhouse-Five about the bombing of Dresden and uh, Sirens of Titan, which was translated by a rather famous translator. So, and so far, the fame is more, more due to the translator than maybe to Vonnegut himself. Slapstick was not regarded an especially good book. And Timequake was even regarded by Vonnegut as a failure, although it's a failure I really, really do like. Hmm. And he's, he's seen in certain circles to which I do not belong, but to that point I can agree, uh, that he's a modern-day Mark Twain. And I think there is a hmm. very good right to this comparison, you know, representing humanity, skepticism, love and despair for the people, love for the arts, and a really wonderful sense of humor that is yeah. uh, exceptionally American with hints <laughs> of the old countries. Yeah. You know, I like that, exceptionally American. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when, when, I think, <clears throat> when I think of Vonnegut, I do think of very serious subjects, yet funny. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. there's one parallel. I said he's a rather American author, and I still I would su uh, subscribe to that for several reasons. You can see his influence to uh, Douglas Adams. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. You know, when uh, I read them at the same time in the early 80s, when I was 14, 15 years old, and I said, ah, here has uh, been a, a conversation between authors in a way. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. I would never think mm-hmm. of them together because Vonnegut always has, to me, more substance. Um, um, has he? That could just be the way I read Douglas Adams, though. <laughs> um, I think Douglas Adams is more... Uh, what's the English word? Mercurian in his writing. Oh, mm-hmm. And he's more, um, his, his desperation is refined by his Englishness. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like being a Monty Python, and he worked for Monty Python, I guess, in the last day, stages of Monty yeah. Python. Uh, rather, there's a distance, like uh, with his um, famous uh, favorite author, P.G. Woodhouse. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Vonnegut bleeds openly. How, That's how American. Interesting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <And> <laughs> then, American. Um, when I first novel I read by him was slapstick, and uh, except for a few parts, I was not really convinced by the um, novel itself. But the free, the preface, by God, the preface. Mm. I said, so you can write about your writing and about your attitude toward love and what the conditio humana is in that way. Oh, that's amazing. Mm. To be fast and thrilling and funny and not giving one yota of sadness away. Mm. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well, that's Every- funny. Mm. So so do you still read him a lot or um, mm. I have, regular I have, rotation? I haven't read him for, uh, for a certain time. As I mentioned okay. to Scott the other day, um, I have started reading him again when Barbara and I went to Dresden last fall. Um, mm-hmm. Barbara is a, was a member of the peace movement in the 80s, you know, anti-American, anti-Russian, stop the nuclear war, etc., etc. Mm. And Dresden was bombed flat by the British and American uh, armed forces in yeah. the last stages of the Second World War. And in every bookstore in Dresden, you can find this book. And I said, oh, look, Barbara, uh, I guess you read it in your youth, uh, didn't you? And she said, uh, no, actually, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I said, very well, this can be uh, mended. <laughs> and I bought the book for her. And uh, when we be- came back home, I started to reread my Vonnegut novels. Hmm. And that was uh, when I got the invitation from you, you know? Oh, that's Perfect. great. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, okay, Bluebeard was the, um, not the funniest perhaps, but the most, um, the rounded up novel, you know, the most novelly novel of Vonnegut. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because... To, to um, a certain degree. we come to that later. I haven't read, you know, like a lot of Americans, I think, maybe. I don't know how you did it, Scott. But mm-hmm. for me, high school and college, I read Vonnegut, and then I stopped. Mm-hmm. Then I didn't yeah. read any more of it. So well, I, I've yeah, read I, I, I mean, are you saying that, you know, you were you had to read them for some classes or something? Oh, no, no. I just okay. read them. Okay. Because they were funny and all this stuff. Um, but I'm not, you know, then... I wasn't thinking about the books as much as I would now. Yeah. So the one that didn't get mentioned is the one that I probably read three or four times, which is Cat's Cradle. And I'm like, now I can't even remember it. I probably should pick it up again. Yeah. yeah so my experience with Vonnegut before this one was Cat's Cradle and Breakfast of Champions. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. uh, there's a short five. story called Harrison Bergeron. Um, mm-hmm. But I never read mm-hmm. any of his um, – th- there's one, I think uh, he mentioned it, The Sirens of Titan. Yeah, that's that, wonderful. It's yeah, really is it fun. good. Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, he's a great essayist as well and a great orator. If you can get hold of, um, what's it called? Palm Sunday. 
mm. with a few huh? speeches and uh, non-fictional stuff by him. That's okay. uh, fun to read as well. Interesting. Oh, okay. okay. And nice. it holds sometimes better together than its novels, who are sometimes um, non-fiction in disguise. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know when you said the preface that you enjoyed in the other book, and I was thinking, yeah, this, I liked the preface, which was just, it was so to the point of, yeah. you know, this this isn't a, about the real authors. This is about, oh, I made up all this stuff. It's my reaction to people paying too much for things that they want. When, yeah. with that people, which is representing human play. Of course, I didn't mark it, so I couldn't read it. And mm. I went... I never thought about art as being people playing, but mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Dance, play, music, Absolutely. all these things. So yeah. that was kind of an interesting way to go into the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we have to be careful. I think Vonnegut is playing a rather strange game here. Um, when I read it 25 years ago, I thought it was a reaction of someone rooted in the European and old American arts, very strong to the, uh, oriented to the canon, like Harold Bloom, for example, and an aggressive reaction to modernity and postmodernity. You know? And mm -hmm. I thought uh, that Vonnegut is doing some a little bit old-fashioned artsy-fartsy stuff here and has a hero belonging to American expressionism, a postmodern kind of art, and he's making a decision here. And the point in the end, to spoil a little bit here, that a realistic picture is playing a pivotal role in this uh, novel, seemed mm -hmm. to, under my, uh, to, uh, to strengthen my point. I'm not so sure quite now. I'm not so sure quite now uh, whether this uh, struggle between modernism and traditional art is not much more complicated here. And I do think that we have to deal with the author Vonnegut and the narrator, Rabo Kabekian, the main uh, protagonist, and yeah. a shady figure in between, something I would like to call a third entity. And I'm not quite sure whether Vonnegut in his art created this third entity or whether it happened to him. Hmm. There is a shadow narrator and a shadow author doing a rather strange game within the novel, apart from the preface Vonnegut and the narrator Kabekian. They found, found that rather, um, rather strange, to be honest. That is interesting. So do you feel like he's not uh, rejecting postmodern art and that type of thing, but rather he's talking about art as a whole? He's talking, he's talking about uh, not art as a whole. Um, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Maybe he does. But that's not the point. I think he's doing at least a double game on the attitudes toward modernity and the attitude towards old-fashioned, traditional, representational art. Yeah, but is, he, not, is he saying that... Not, uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I feel like, you know, he might be um, of an opinion, you know, that, hey, whatever your attitude is about these things is okay? Or what do you... Or uh, you think no, he's it's, not it's, saying that? No, I don't think it's um, so so open-minded uh -huh. i think he's uh, no I, I think he's um, no that's my first question that i wrote down halfway okay. through this book I, I just want to say i agree with you because part way into the book i was like wow i wouldn't have expected him to be having that attitude about you know abstract yep. expressionism yep. and then later yep. i went wait a minute what i don't know what he thinks anymore and then i flip again i flipped yep. and flipped and flipped yep. and then i went so my first question was what kind of art did on a gut like we don't ah, know we do go. not know i don't think there you go there He's, you go that's one of the points yep. yeah yeah and this book is 
I don't know, you know, I haven't compa- can't compare it to his other styles because I don't remember any of the other books. But to me, this was like reading a post uh, expressionist painting in a way. It flips and 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 it's here and it's there and it's chaotic, but it's also, it's not going to make me like that art form any better because I don't understand it. But what it's going to, what it did is make me realize I could appreciate what he was doing with the book, which is creating chaos that makes you think about it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I need, I need, need yes, absolutely. I need a a word from you. Um, How do you, what's in English uh, the expression for picture? that can be looked uh, at in two ways, say, for example, showing a young woman or an old woman, uh, and oh. the picture is ever-changing in your mind. We, we call it Kippfigur in German, but I don't know the English expression. Do we have a word for that, I know Scott? exactly what you're talking about. I know what you're talking uh, yeah. about. You see, two, you see two faces. Of, right, uh, yeah. depending on your, yeah. Mm-hmm. Depending on your focus, you can see a, a vase of flower, a vase for flowers. Yeah, yeah, no. And there is a word for it. We call it in German, well, we call it Kippfigur. Because the figure you see, Kip figure, is always uh, tilting to one side or to the other side. A tilt figure would be the English word, Kip figure. It's like the cartoons that, I mean, did you have this, Scott, in your cartoons or whatever, like in the paper, where they'd always have thing, which was you'd have to move the picture and focus your eye differently. Yeah. And you suddenly yeah. saw a different picture. And we, yeah, I mean, I always called it an illusion. It was like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know that there's another... There it's is like a word an ambiguous it. illustration. I don't know. Are you Germans? <laughs> you have a word yeah. for everything. Yes. Uh-huh. We don't. We, uh, we invent some word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, but you invented Never a good word. Give me just a few minutes. Anyway. Um, okay. So the the novel is this kind of keep figure. And it's rather complicated to say that, uh, or rather too easy, that Vonnegut tilts to the one or to the other side. I think he's tilting both ways. And still, I do not know whether he intended to tilt both ways or whether this happened because of the what I call third entity in the room. Maybe his attitude was not as clear as he pretended it was. Hmm. Give you, can no. I give you an example sooner yeah. or later? Or right now? No, go ahead. Yeah, go right okay. ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. You have on the one hand the craft that Rabo Kabekian learns from Dan Gregory, the exact reproduction of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan Gregory is the uh, illustrationist. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's a passage, although we uh, come to admire this art, where he says, well, uh, Gregory, as the narrator, uh, Kabikian says, Gregory was a taxidermist. And this is a really right. a very uh, cold remark, mm. you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we are overwhelmed, like Cersei Berman, his uh, friend, and a busybody all around him. <laughs> we are um, overwhelmed by a realistic painting that paints a point in time. But the thing is, another passage in the book, he says, well, the realistic painters are able to point at a certain stage, they are able to point at a point in time, but they cannot make time visible. But the American ex- expressionists could make time visible. Mm-hmm. So the criticism or the critic is always, whenever you think you know uh, his attitude toward one uh, art or the other, it changes. Yes, because he says that thing about it being a taxidermist, you know, an illustrator like that. But then, at some other point, he says, but the thing about Dick Gregory that was different about all those other regular illustrators is that he makes them live. Yeah. 
Yeah. He makes them come alive. He's different from them. You almost feel like you're part of the painting is what the impression I got. You fall into the painting, yes. So, yeah, so, and yeah, so yeah. and so what that did was suddenly redeem Dan Gregory for me or Dick Dick Gregory. And or Dan, Dan Gregory, whatever yeah, his guess, name was. Right. Um right. yeah, and that those are the little things that he does continually so where you're like, well, but now I don't know what to think anymore. And to yeah. me, the epitome of that was the little um, girls that are swinging in the yeah. foyer that she has painted, which I would have like, you know, locked her out of the house. But, you know, <laughs> however, okay. um, but which everybody looked at it and went, oh, my gosh. And she goes, yeah, but just tell them this. Here's all the life and death they're going to see because they're Victorians and blah, blah, blah. And he does it to this couple. And they suddenly, obediently fall into line. Absolutely. And they're, Absolutely. oh, oh, yeah. well, now that I know the meaning of it. Okay. And then at the same time, he's doing the very same thing because he's painting his painting that where he's like this golden streak just looks like a golden bar but to me it's the soul of the deer yeah and to me it's this and i'm looking i'm thinking of both these things and at that point in the book and maybe by the end of the book because i'm totally confused on what yep. the author is saying at that point i'm just going well if art is art cannot be reduced to just being communication but part of it is it's communicating something yeah. and therefore if you have to tell me what it's communicating is it really doing its job if I have to have you interpreting this line and these little girls and yeah. where's what's left for the person who's looking at the painting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's a neat way to put it. I would like to quote something from the book if you like that would, uh, yes. uh, yeah. Okay. With you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, okay. But let's not forget me for the moment. No, sorry. But let's forget me for the moment and focus on the works of Gregory. They were truthful about material things, but they lied about time. He celebrated moments, anything from a child's first meeting with a department store Santa Claus to the victory of a gladiator at the Circus Maximus, from the driving of the Golden Spike, which completed a transcontinental railroad to a man's going on his knees to ask a woman to marry him. But he lacked the guts or the wisdom or maybe just the talent to indicate somehow that time was liquid that one moment was no more important than any other and that all moments quickly run away. Let me put it another way. Dan Gregory was a taxidermist and uh, skip a little. Mm -hmm. Let me put yet another, let me put it yet another way. Life by definition is never still. Where is it going? From birth to death with no stops on the way. Even a picture of a bowl of pears on a checkered tablecloth is liquid. I was surely never able to achieve as a painter, nor was Rand Gregory, but which was achieved by the best of the abstract expressionists in the paintings which have greatness, birth and death are always there. And here you see that the realistic painting, as artful as it can be, lacks something. It lacks what we might call soul. Mm -hmm. And the work of Mark Rothko, much as it is Maybe boring to look at. Has soul. <laughs> if you ever, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I just was in a foul mood when I went to my dentist and he had his waiting room full of Morothkos. <clears throat> and I said, Doc, Doc, tell me, why do you have pictures of some suicide in your waiting room? You want to scare your patients? 
<laughs> he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't think it was funny at all, but uh, it's hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> it was by way of paying him back. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> pay. yeah. Thanks for that root canal. Here, take this with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just wow. like that root canal. That it is. Well, but, no, it, because but, the um, thing that's funny in all this is that, you know, he's like, and here's this line, and it's the dear soul. And I'm thinking, yes, but you painted all these things where the paint disappeared and the tape fell off. Yes. So it's nothing. And in the end, his picture, 64 feet long and eight feet high, mm-hmm. is just like that. It's a frozen moment in time. It's an important moment in time. It is an autobiographical, oh God, autobiographical moment for Vonnegut. Because the valley he paints here is a valley where he was as a POW, in a way. Mm-hmm. You know? There's a yeah. very strong autobiographic relation to that picture. Mm-hmm. But whatever he thinks about Gregory, in the end, he's a taxidermist as well. And yeah. he's lauded for that. And we know he's smart enough to know that. So what is he doing? Well, isn't that part of the reason he has one eye? A one-eyed painter doesn't uh, have perspective. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. I haven't thought of that. Oh, dear. Yes, wonderful. Wonderful. That's My a- contribution. I want everybody to mark more this than one. More than one. Oh, that's excellent. Losing yeah, that's And that's yeah. why he keeps yeah. going back and forth. He can only see one thing at a time. Look at me um, talking so smart and have not found out that. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I just thought you can't write a book about a painter that has one eye without it meaning something. They use their eyes. so And and that's when he changed his style of painting. Yeah. You know, too. Um, because he didn't have the perspective to paint the other stuff. So when he's calling him a taxidermist, yes, but I don't. But he clearly, by the end, doesn't think there's anything wrong with holding on to those moments of time. Because we have to, because that's what anchors us for when we move forward. And sometimes we depend on the moments. Mm -hmm. I don't know, um, have you ever heard about a musician called Kevin Coyne? How do you spell the last name? Uh, C-O-Y-N-E. So I've heard of him. Was was an English blues singer, uh, a rather, and I mention this not without uh, reason, a rather ugly little man. I loved him very much. He was a wonderful singer. He lived in Germany. He married a German wife in the 70s or 80s, and... Uh, there's a concert in Germany which I call the 90-minute career suicide because I've never seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the 60s, in the late, uh, no, in the early 70s, he was uh, asked to be the singer of the Doors of all bands after the death of Jim Morrison. Oh. And I couldn't imagine someone more um, ill-fitting except for his voice. And uh, then Kevin Coyne. Well, anyway, in the 80s he made a record uh, called Politics, and there's a song I've got the photographs about the role photographs play in our remembrances mm. and mm. how important they are. And the realistic painting has taken over the function of photographs in many a way, and vice versa. The photography has taken over the function of a realistic uh, painting. That's and in this, trans- true. In this yeah. transformation process, something of the power of painted pictures has been lost yeah, agreed with that. You know, no, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. You know, as as we're discussing that, um, something that's coming to mind is you know his friend uh, Slazinger. Yeah, and yeah, so who's a writer Slesinger. as Paul. as opposed to uh, Cersei. Yeah. Um, you know what oh, he what yeah, he Jesus. writes versus what mm-hmm, she right. writes is almost a mirror image of what the 
mm-hmm. you know, the realism versus the uh, mm-hmm. abstract impressionism. Okay. You know, so she, but, or yeah, she's an extremely popular author of the Polly Madison novels, right? Yeah, that's right. And he's written something that. like 10 or 11 novels himself, and uh, but he's nowhere near as popular as she is. Yeah. Yeah, but his are cutting edge. Right, right. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and hers are very, when, uh, I love that, um, what's his name, uh, the Rabco, Rabo, goes around asking different librarians, readers, all these people, what do you think of these books that she wrote? Because mm-hmm. he, he's, mm-hmm. he's not going to read it. No, no thank <laughs> yeah. you. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I love that, too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask other yeah. experts because I'm like, so you're just judging what she did by the experts? Is this how you're judging? You're not judging the paintings this way. Yeah. But you'll judge that that way. So I thought that was interesting. But then also, yeah, and they're all just like, oh, competent. You know, uh-huh. they're fine for what they are. Yeah. Very popular, which is, you know, the height of popularity is usually pretty good at, at something in a basic way. Yeah. Because it has to appeal was, to so many people. Yeah. Another thing that left out of me about all that is there was a point at which uh, Raybo was trying to write earlier in his life, right? And, oh, he's, yeah. and he And it said something about for him who could draw something, to sit there and explain something on paper was yeah. just torture. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's a different kind of sport. Right, of right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. but they're both communication. So yeah, I mean, but what does that have to say about the other thing? I mean, does it shed any light or not? It's like, okay. you know, it's there still seems to be this. Uh, hey, you know, the, these folks like different things. Although Slazenier read all of her novels, didn't he? And and he liked them, and he liked them. Yeah. Well, he was also yeah. kind of crazy. But, he was, but still. <laughs> but I think also, I kind of also looked at some of that writing stuff and thought about there's some point where, what's her name, Cersei, is looking mm-hmm. over her shoulder. It, is it her who's criticizing what he's doing? Yeah. And she says, "Oh, your sentences are too short. You're jumping around. These sections are wrong. The blah blah blah." And I saw somewhere that these are all the things that were always said about his books. Yeah. Kurt Vonnegut's books. Mm-hmm. And so I thought. Then is he bringing himself as a writer into the conversation by having those two writers there? Absolutely. That was one of the, um, oh, what's the word? One of the critics uh, criticism uh, brought against this book. This book was not very well received, uh, to the best of my knowledge. I liked it. In, in, mm-hmm. Yeah, so did I. Yeah, as did uh, I. But yeah. uh, his yeah. biographer, he has a biographer, uh, what's his name? Or her name? No, his name. Charles Shields was very, very... Um, Appetite about this book. It's <laughs> <laughs> so old fashioned. Right? Those Apathy, critics. Yeah. yeah. No, um, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine biography. It's a really a really good, smart book, but um, this novel has a, a capacity to disturb his fans. It's like I don't know. You have, uh, I guess you have seen all Woody Allen movies. I guess or most of them. Mm-hmm. And there are there are some Woody Allen movies who are rather disturbing. Um, I think of Stardust Memories. Have you seen that? No, because I know it's disturbing, so I haven't oh, watched it. You should. It's like a crimes wonderful. and misdemeanors, it's, and it's, um, it's a yeah, it's a wonderful, yeah. uh, wonderful, smart, uh, self-absorbing in a way movie about Woody Allen movies and the reception of Woody Allen movies. And um, if we both read the Lord of the Rings, do we have the same text, or do we only have identically printed, uh, identically printed paper? Does the text evolve between writer and the written? 
and that the text and another text maybe evolve between the printed or written and the reader. And if so, how many texts are there and how many books are able to deliver texts? I feel like I just stepped into one of those expressionist paintings. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, what, what I would say to that is I, I do firmly believe that um, when you write something, um, the reader is important. It's a part of the process, right? So yeah. the, the reader is going to read it and have his or her whole life experience that they're going to interpret what is written themselves. So it's like, yeah. you know, we, we can read Lord of the Rings, but we're going to come away with uh, different impressions of things. And, um, and j just like, you know, when you read it when you're 15 and when you read it when you're 50, uh, it's different. Yep. Right? The Terentius question I mentioned, you know, the young yeah. boy and the old man reading Terence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. and I love the way you put that. I, yeah, I wish you'd restate that because I, I loved how you put that earlier. Um, yeah, I think you said one time you read it and you're younger than the author, and then in the future you yeah. read it and you're I older see. than the author. I yeah. love that thought. It's fantastic. Or, 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 you, or you fall in and out of love and you read the same love story or yeah. watch the same movie, Right. Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. uh, those stuff happens all the time, and it constructs ever new texts. They are based on the same printed paper, and then so far there is a, what Umberto Eco, the one, who, uh, the mm. guy who wrote um, Name of the Rose. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one's called the borders or the limits of interpretation. So I wouldn't uh, interpret uh, the Bluebird novel as, say, um, a novel about the uh, Third World War or whatever, or mm. about uh, Chinese history that would uh, lead to go too far. But it's, it is a different book for all of us who have any relation to arts, to painting, to America, to Europe, to the Armenians, mm. yeah, which play yeah. an important role here. We haven't well, mentioned that. That's yeah, that's true. Opinion. There are so many Armenians, and we and we I know. forget that he brings it up, and then he'll bring them up and surprise me because I'm like, oh right, I forgot another <laughs> yeah. Armenian. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of authors that are surprised by what people find in their writing too. <laughs> yes, yeah. they can be rather annoyed about it. Yeah, the sometimes they're thrilled and sometimes they're like, very, oh very my gosh, angry. that's not what I meant. You know? I, did, I did not mean that, young man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So sure. I've, I've become rather um, tentative or rather cautious talking about authors, what their books are about. Mm -hmm. This can go either way, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, right. and and especially in a book like this, where he's leaving, he's just throwing some. It really is like one of those paintings where you're just throwing the splatters at the wall and going, "What do you see in it?" Yeah. Because he's yeah. putting so many opposite opinions out there. He comes down in the end on on several sides, uh, or on final sides of several things he's raised. Yeah, because so, I knew the war was important in this mm -hmm. because he keeps flashing back to it and telling us more of his life story and all this kind of thing. But at the end, when he's talking about the painting and the name of the painting, which is now it's the women's turn and, yeah. you know, what's happening and everything. And I went, oh, my gosh, the, clearly my conversation with the novel, I went, yeah, in 1987, that was probably fresh and new. But to me, I'm like, oh, one more time. I have mm -hmm. to hear that thing. You know, you know? And it's, it's yes, prevalent, know, but, prevalent right but, now in the United States. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. Yes, oh, I know. Gosh. But let's yeah. be careful. Just look at the women in the novel and ask yourself, is this question really serious? Well, that's a good point. Because 
Cersei's can't run anything. For example, and uh, Mary Lees are not reliable as well, much as yeah. uh, he loves them, obviously. And Edith, much as he loved her, obviously, is some sort of uh, glass of water. Mm. So women okay, of the world take you over. You just saved the novel for me because I was looking at this going, do not tell me that one sex is better than another at this. I mean, that's, oh my gosh. We would have a war. We would have wars, but they'd all be conducted by gossip and people stabbing each other in the back. It would just be a different war. We don't know when he created the title of the picture. Yeah. But he was able to create titles on the uh, drop of his head. It's ab uh, obviously. Mm. So it might be a smart move on his side to call it that in front of Cersei Berman. Yeah, but you know, the whole way through the book, he's kind of talking that way. He's talking about the men creating war and the women. Of course, he's really very shallow in how he views women for most of the book. Well, so. the most, uh, I think the, uh, the dominating was for him or for this book, be it the uh, genocide among the Armenians or mm -hmm. the Second World War. I think these are the two wars that are most important for these books. Yeah. Uh, they are, in a way, really masculine wars. I think when could, uh, we can put it that way. That oh. doesn't that make women better yeah. persons. Um, not at all. But I do think that the wars he's um, dealing with here are mates who have a certain, are wars who have a certain um, attitude toward masculinity. Mm -hmm. I can say that for uh, the German attitude towards war at that time. Oh, no, no. And I, no, you're absolutely right. And I hadn't really thought about that part as much i just wrote war now it's the women's turn ugh because <laughs> i have you know going to college when i did and then being you know growing up and older and everything had feminism shoved at me I so know. many ways and bought into it and then fought my way clear and then gone well there's different ways to look at it so i've had my own complicated probably journey with that particular issue and I look at the book and look at the fact that it was written in 1987 when that would have been a super popular way to do it and I, I don't want to say he wasn't deep on every level but to me I just looked at that and went oh man you copped out on me but so you make some really good points so I can rethink it from some of those points uh, I would uh, much rather agree with you when you when the book had been published in 1977 to the best um, of my knowledge in the early 80s uh, process uh, started that some people call the backlash in the United States. <laughs> and it was very easy to make points uh, with the sheer rejection of feminism in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So I respect him for not doing that. Hmm. Well, and he wasn't doing that to anything, really. I mean, he was, you're no. right, that's because you the point you made about the kinds of women who are in the book. Yeah. Being, they're very different from that statement. And uh, by know. the way, now it's the women's turn. What does that exactly mean? Turn doing what? Yeah. The man have, oh, it's a family show, isn't it? The man have uh, <laughs> screwed up everything. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, it's too late now. <laughs> cut, cut, <laughs> rewrite. <laughs> anyway, the man has screwed up everything. And um, now it's the women's turn to screw it up all over again. I don't know. I feel I've, like that's I've, where this guy was going with that, but I, that could I, be. Neither am I. Neither am I. Um, and that's what I thought. There is a third entity. And maybe, maybe uh -huh. Vonnegut really didn't know where this book might lead. 
there are some things I'd say, although it's most rounded up or most finished or most polished novel, some things don't simply don't add up. Yeah. For example, we, why but, is Dan Gregory hanging around with the Italian fascists? Mussolini, of all, <laughs> of all places, of all kinds of persons. <laughs> uh, if, if you had put him together with Hitler, well, maybe so. But Mussolini, dear me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really seem like the style we'd seen before, does it? In a and way, he mentions uh, it a lot of times. Uh, in, in a way, it does. I could uh, really uh, try to grab deeply into my trick pocket of German history and German attitudes towards art, but um, I uh, even dare to track there. But I'll give it a try if you like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heavens, yeah. <laughs> Just well, I, I love what you said about, you know, maybe he didn't know where this was all going. Yeah. Because at the very yeah. first line in the author's note at the beginning, it says, this is a novel and a hoax autobiography at that. Yes, absolutely. You know, and, and then the, he, and the, the last things. sentence in that yeah. first paragraph, he says, it is a history of nothing but my own idiosyncratic responses to this or that. Mm -hmm. So, And I think uh, yeah. it's very important uh, because his frame, or what we call this paratext, all these strange prefaces and uh, dedications. Uh, I like the quotation from his son. Oh, I love that. Dr. Yeah. Mark mm -hmm. We are here to help each other get through the thing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And um, you know that Mark Vonnegut was seriously, seriously mentally ill. And, oh, I didn't uh, know that. Oh, you didn't. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book about it, which is rather fun to read, a rather strange uh, experience to read it. And um, I think that as a summing up of what, what have we learned today is a wonderful sentence. Because this book is about helping each other in a way, even if each other do not understand. I don't think that Kabekian yeah. understands Cersei Berman, and I'm absolutely sure that vice versa, she has no idea what moves him. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And still they are able to help each other, which is no mean feat. Right. Well, yeah, because the, each of them, the he, Rabo, or Rebo, however you say his name, he is like one of those illustrated very good illustrated paintings. He's very, you know, he's anchored. He's here. He's this spot in time until Cersei comes in and she's like an abstract painting. She's everywhere. She's just shaking things up. She's just seeing what comes loose, what happens, what will work. Now we find out later it's fueled by pills, but does that matter? She's already done it to everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that idea that she's running on chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I said, ah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. But I love that I, point that you make about we're here to help each other get through this thing, whatever yeah. it is, because that's from somebody real. It's yeah. not, it's not, you know, the the dedication from R.K. The book is for Cersei Berman because that's part of the fiction that's being written. Yeah. And yeah. that is a focus that I hadn't really thought of. And all the people that we see, that really is what they're doing. <gasps> They're and, uh, there for each other. Or what they fail to do. Yeah. In no small uh, amount. You know, the, um, oh, what's her name? Merli, Merli Kemp, is helping the young Rabu Kabekian very, very much as a woman, as a friend, as a lover for a short time. And he's paying her back not very much mm -hmm. because he's unable to do so. And the friction is... Um, unsurmountable in the end. Yeah. 
Because he didn't sort of, even know he was supposed to do something. Yeah, yeah. And this, this, remind, this reminds me of an old German legend, the Parsival. Heard that before? That. Mm-hmm. No, what is that? So looking, look, looking for the Holy Grail? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Parsival was a, a pure knight, and he was taught by his mother not to ask questions because that's impolite. And then he came to the uh, Grail King, it uh, was Montsalvage Castle, uh-huh. and there was a, the Grail King, uh, the Fisher King, I think you call him in English. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And um, he sees that there's a wound, and the wound is um, treated, and the blood is caught up in the Holy Grail, and he does not ask because he's been told, um, never ask something. And uh, everybody seems to be rather disappointed that he doesn't ask anything, but he's going away in the morning. And later on, he's at the court of King Arthur, and Kundri, um, uh, a seer, comes to him before all the other knights and tears his ears off because he should have asked. He should have asked, you old fuck upnik. You could have helped everybody involved. You could have helped the Grail King. You could have released him from his pain and from his prison simply by asking him, what is your pain? Mm. Mm. And the disability to ask, the disability to to help someone because of pride and um, prejudice and uh, wrong sort of politeness leads to a lot of problems here. Yeah. When uh, Dan Gregory is so angry about him when he goes to the Museum of Modern Art, mm. yeah. wouldn't have been possible to communicate something or at least wouldn't have been worth a try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Ca- yeah. If the scoundrels are um, released, is that the word? Erlöst? Mm-hmm. If the scoundrels are released from all their being scoundrelness, who has to do the work to release them, to forgive them, to help them? Yeah. But Rabu denies it. He's a victim all by himself, etc., etc., etc. Everybody has done him harm. Yeah, yeah, because nobody's even tried. Right. Uh, and you know, this, and, and this, go ahead. Yeah. It's a book about art and about the art of helping, I guess. I think yeah. that's great. That is great. Scott, you know, what were you going to say? You know, I was just going to say there's a contrast between uh, Rabo and Merrily as well. They both inherit like huge houses. <laughs> inherit, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know but oh, what, yeah. Does he, what does he do with his? You know, it's a cave that he hides in. And what does she do with hers? She helps people. It's open, it's, it's open house. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's open house. Right. So, that, you know, you're talking about Rabo's inability to help people. It's, you know, it's symbolized by those houses. Yeah. In which case, what a, you know, that's what a great book to pick. Um, man, that's a great insight that just never, I was so busy looking at what the people were doing. I wasn't looking at the people. And isn't that something that we fall into as people yeah Mm. we are so busy looking at you know oh you did this thing and i don't like it or whatever it is and and we don't stop and extend ourselves to them as people yeah and the way of looking at things what are they not doing why are they not doing it Mm -hmm. you can be you know sometimes there's a chinese word for the wu wei uh, the acting by not acting, which can be very, very helpful and very useful. Let things flow. Let them take their turn. Mm-hmm. You cannot put your fingers in any wheel that's running around. But there is a time and there is a place for doing something. 
Well, that goes, you know, that's the, what's it called when we, at Moving. Mass? Well, Moving. but at Mass, when we were saying, we're, we, you know, I'm sorry for all the sins I've done and the ones I have through inaction, not, yeah. you know. Mm. Sort yeah. of, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the same, it's just the reverse side of that. Yeah. Uh, you uh, know, Vonnegut always suffered, uh, to the best of my knowledge, from the decline of his uh, large family after World War II. That's one of the main subjects of his preface to Slapstick. And they're looking for ersatz families. I'll tell you a good one. Um, hmm. I come from a family that is quite dysfunctional. People who commit suicide, alcoholics, you know the drill. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the persons of my family was in the Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, the person swore to God, and I believe it, that a lot of people there were not alcoholics at all, but were looking for an ersatz family. Mm. Oh, yeah. I could and, believe that. And uh, I, thought, I thought that's very plausible. You uh, talk about life, what is important. You talk about God. What can he do for you? What can you do for him? You talk about helping each other. And everybody had to tell a story. But the people always were um, identified because they couldn't tell about what it is really be, what is really to be a drunkard. What yeah. is really to be an alcoholic? Those were the addict. stories that were not at all plausible. Yeah, because <laughs> everybody's um, going, I'm an addict, and I can tell you, you are not yeah, one. You know, mm. yeah. I'm Mark, and I'm alcoholic, etc. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And um, out of politeness, uh, uh, the person told me, out of politeness, they let them be, because they knew they were not there just for sheer fun. They were not there to make fun of the real alcoholics. They were there looking for something. And when I read Vonnegut, He told the same story about his uncle. And I said, oh, they do it in the States as well. How interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Because and people I this, that's are rather, people and loneliness yeah. and the need for family and connection yeah. is so it's part of who we are. And you make yeah. me think of um, my one of my daughters was telling me that um, she has a friend who <laughs> was saying that, yeah, she goes, oh, yeah, this person, she's one of my island of misfit friends. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, yeah, yeah the Rudolph, the Red Nose mm -hmm. Reindeer cartoon. Well, so um, she goes, because none of these people have friends and they all like me. So I'll make sure that we all go bowling. We all do something once a month. And she goes, and I've tried. I've thought, well, now here we all are together and I can't make it this time. And she goes, oh, no, they can't do it. They just fight viciously. She goes, I have to be there. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's so good of her. She's extending that family feeling. And I was like, oh, I have a group of people. I, I have a couple of groups of people I do that for. I hadn't thought of it that way. I was just mm. like, well, here I am, and this is the thing I'm doing. And evidently, I'm supposed to keep doing this because everybody, it means a lot to them. They keep showing up. Yeah. All mm. right. Um, and it, it is fine. You know, I don't mind it. It's I like all these people. But um, it's that thing that you're talking about. And that's especially at the end in this book. That's what's happening with Rabo and his house. It's turning yeah. into that because of Circe. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's what the, the women's turn is for. Yeah, she's, she's mm. given this pack of life to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, know, I remember, um, I don't uh, get the quotation by word, but Vonnegut um, once said, A woman does not want a core family consisting of two or three persons. A woman does want lots of people to talk to. So you may call this sexist, but the idea of having extended families 
through communication mm -hmm. or to belong to a part of a professional group, say writers or artists or, or teachers or whatnot. Um, that's rather common, I guess. And Vonnegut is the first one to make a novel style out of it. Hmm. If you think of Rabu Kabekian, who is uh, as isolated as can be from a family that has been victimized in the genocide among the, Armenia, uh, mm -hmm. of the Armenians, that has been lured into a place where no Armenian ever has set foot before. Where no Armenian has ever gone before, etc. Yeah. Mm. And there he tries to make, uh, uh, I, I gave a book by Julio Cortassa once to you, Julia, I don't know whether you remember it. Cortassa mm -hmm. um, once said that there's always a desire to turn a déplacement into an emplacement, to uh. be out of place and turn it into to be into a place. Yeah. And I think that Vonnegut is trying to do this with his family stuff. That's Turning these displaced de persons, a displaced persons, maybe even a better term, into persons who have a place within a group of people. In and which what happens if, oh, if, if they fail? What, should, uh, what can happen to them if they fail? Like Rabu Kabikian in the beginning of the book seems to be failing. Yeah, and several people have failed because they've committed suicide. Yes, for example. Throughout sure. the book. Yeah. Um, well, and I was thinking, and in that way, <laughs> thinking about that, Circe is, her books are not great, but everybody loves them. She herself is, you know, a rabble rouser, you know, a chaotic agent. Yeah. But she's providing the spark to make all these people do something and move. And I was thinking he's almost, in that way, the argument is almost that it's the personal interaction and the people. It's not the art or what's being pr produced yeah. because she's the most popular. Yeah. So Dick of, Gregory. Yeah. Think of J.K. Rowling. She may not be the greatest of stylists, but boy, what stories she could tell and what she could turn readers into. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing feat. It's something absolutely beyond um, – artistical control, say, or about uh, craftsmen or craftswomanship. What Rowling has done is so amazing to me and to my reading experience that I can see, uh, like in sometimes in a B-movie, I can see the zippers and uh, the spider's legs and that stuff. You yeah. know, Frank, Frank Zappa wrote a song called Sheep. It's about monster movies. And he yeah. said, you can see absolutely everything. You can see every trick and it works. It still works. Yeah. And that's amazing. You don't That's an care. Amazing you don't care. I know when she was really, really popular, about fourth or fifth novel into her series, uh, somebody found out, oh, her style is pedestrian. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> nobody cares. Yeah, nobody. I find that somebody found out finally. <laughs> yeah, I could. Yeah, and, uh, and oh, Sherlock. Started People started saying that. I was like, what are you even, why do you care? Have you not been reading from the beginning? Do we not yes. all notice this? Because Absolutely. I was reading it to the kids. And so I viewed her primarily as a children's author. Then her books started, you know, getting bigger and deeper and darker and all this stuff. And I went, oh, she's going to do something with it. Good for her, <laughs> you know. Um, and I was along for the ride. I'm the, you know, we did an episode on her. and mm -hmm. But it's that thing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's how I feel about um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe books. Ah, I read them too late. Yeah, yeah, I read them too late. Same I was year. in Same year. I, did not get, I did not get into it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But 
it, but people still love them if they read them at the right age and everything. And it's not to say he's not more artful than J.K. Rowling. Depends, you know. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. Uh, okay. I talk too much, but still. Anyway, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, but, but you're here to talk. Um, That's chance. right. Um, yeah. Um, uh, one thing that popped I, I in my head to... while you guys were talking about that was, uh, remember Allison? Um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, how did Cersei change Rabo? I think was yeah. illustrated in that little scene where Allison, who was his uh, cook, right? Oh, said, yeah, you know, yeah. Hey, what is my name? Anyway, you know, mm-hmm. she was getting ready to leave and he was like, no, I don't want you to leave. But, you know, he said it was because, you know, he knew who's going to cook his food. But it was more right. than that. And yeah. and uh, she said, well, what's my name? And he didn't even know it. He didn't. He couldn't even come up with it, right? Here's the worst thing. You said Allison. I had no clue who it was. If you just said the cook, I would have known right yeah, away. That's right. Because I don't think he named her until that moment. Right. right? Just, I'm just as bad. Yeah. Just as bad. Yeah. That's one of those times that sometimes wives and girlfriends do and you coming from behind, holding your <laughs> eyes closed and say, darling, what color is my eyes? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Please it's, don't say it's, that. It's, it's out of it. Really out of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh. One of the things I liked about the book, this it was brought up in a couple of spots, um, is he talks about the epiphany of seeing God and somebody says, oh, there is no epiphany. The, the, we're in a continual epiphany. God's holding us by the scruff of the neck. And occasionally he'll let go for half an hour or so. And you feel like you're kind of floating. That's the non-epiphany or unepiphany, yeah. whatever he called it. Non, mm. I call it non-epiphany, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful idea. Don't you think so? Yeah. Mm. Well, I because, like because sometimes yeah. you are in the state of non-epiphany and it's a mercy. The thing is, it's not either way. It's both from the same source. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and it's again, it's like art, don't you think? Epiphany, you have to be able and willing to see it. God is there all the time, and it may not be a huge epiphany. It may just be by the scruff of your neck, but God's always there. Can we, are we capable of seeing it? Do we need to see it? Is it, you know, that's a different question. Yeah. We can only that's see it. Is it, ne- is, it, is it necessary? Is it necessary to <clears throat> see God while I tie my shoes? Yeah, well, yeah, because we've we've been given shoes and hands to do, use ourselves. God doesn't need to help us with that. So, yeah. For example, yeah, that's exactly. It. And, yeah, there, uh, there's a there is. A, uh, I'm sorry, ahead. there's a line right here that kind of feeds right into what you guys are saying. Um, <clears throat> I'm on page two twenty nine. He says, "Oh, I was, uh, that was the next one." Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. But yeah, right oh, after this, right after this coincidence, you know, uh, he says, "One would soon go mad if one took such coincidences too seriously." one might be led to suspect that there were all sorts of things going on in the universe which he or she did not thoroughly understand. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to me, those are both, they're just different ways of saying the same thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know, and I think maybe, Scott, we've talked about this before, people who like to, they don't want to use the G word, mm-hmm. so instead they go, the universe will send you good things. I hope the universe sends you something nice. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. just say what you mean. Yeah. Say God. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, it, it, the universe you know, is not going to send me of it any... in, a, in a personal way, as if you know there's caring behind what's happening. Right. I've read the cold equations. I know what the universe is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> I don't have, I don't have cold to, equations. Please, I don't want the universe to send me a bear or something. You know, mm-hmm. this is not my idea of a good time. Um, 
But it's that, but, and the fact that he put that in there, and I think he alludes to it in a couple other spots, but those were the big spots where I just went, oh, that's interesting. He's not counting anything out. Mm. No, you he know? doesn't. Um, and I, I was reminded of one aspect that he mentioned. I'm not sure it might have been in Slaughterhouse 5, or maybe in a text to Slaughterhouse 5, where it talks about a friend who has lost faith. And not being a Catholic and not being Christian at all, he said, oh, no, that's too bad. Faith is something too precious to lose. Huh. Yeah, right. I, I'm rather sad that this happened to my friend. I don't have faith, but I don't want him to lose faith. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Because that's not usually the attitude of somebody who doesn't have something like that. No, that, that's what you call the large God-shaped hole. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think mm -hmm. that is rather rather um, persistent, maybe? Persistent in the work of Vonnegut, the large God-shaped hole. That's mm. interesting. Yeah, you know, and I, I, always, I always took him as kind of a humanist. Um, that he is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, I've got to read some more of his stuff. I got to re—I got to reread *Cat's Cradle*. <laughs> I know, you know, like uh, what Julie was saying. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if you were going to read another Vonnegut, what, what would you recommend? Um, what I would like to read because I haven't read it for, I guess, thirty-five years, and want to give it a shot. I don't remember anything at all. <laughs> I have to admit, it's hocus pocus. Hmm. I know that I really loved it at the time, but hmm. uh, I'm uh, doomed if I have to remember anything about it. So I'll give it another try. Or maybe God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Mm. Yeah, and I had never read that. Yeah, I haven't read either of those. I, I never rather liked much a Cat's Cradle. Mm. I don't know. It, uh, I really didn't like it. Slapstick is an easy read, but it's, uh, it's a wonderfully but utterly failed novel. Wow. Hmm. With, a lot, with tons of nice ideas, with tons of things to make you think, which is not the worst thing you can say about a book, mm -hmm. but as a novel, uh, it uh, doesn't hold water. Well, and that's what made me interested about this, because I was reading and I'm reading and I'm like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And it was when I couldn't figure out what the author thought, and I went, wow. So I, I knew there was much more in there than I was seeing at that very moment. But I just thought, when is the last time an author has left me not knowing what he himself thought and therefore left me open to kind of making me think and make up my own yeah. mind? Yeah. You, you know? really have to get into dialogue with uh, Kurt Vonnegut on the one hand and Rabu Kabekian on the other. And that makes an inspiring read. It, make, it cre can create a beautiful text if you're in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, what's, what's funny so is, is I listened to uh, just a snippet of an interview kind of while I was prepping for this, um, but Vonnegut actually said something that you just reminded me of. <laughs> well, Vonnegut, him, Vonnegut himself said he's always been amazed by, you know, he was talking about American politics, and I, I have no idea what year this was, but he said one of the amazing things about these people that get elected, and that was I'm pretty sure how he put that, is that they're always so sure of everything. You know, they're always so certain. It's like, yes, go do this. You know, and he says he, he believed that it was partly because they didn't really care enough about what the consequences would be. Um, that was, again, his words. So he said, you know, so for somebody like me, you know, I'm going to be like, well, what about this? What about that? You know, don't we need to think about this for a minute? Don't we need to do that? But that's not what that's not what people in those positions are like, you know. 
So, no, but it's it's the same thing that's right here. You know, you're talking about well, he's not coming down on something definitive. You know, it's because it's kind of not in his nature, I guess. You know, in the okay. author's nature. Well, except I came out of it thinking, yeah. I came out of it thinking he didn't. If if I was going to take just the feel of the book, he didn't like expressionist art as much as he might, even though his protagonist is creating it. And it, part of that was because. Um, Marilee says toward toward the end, she looked at modern art because I think they'd had a conversation and maybe I can't remember which one of them said it's nothing. Modern art is nothing. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I looked at it. It's not nothing. It's chaos. Hmm. And hmm. of course, that makes you think about what is that a good or a bad thing that it's chaos, yep. you know? Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's not necessarily usually positive, but go ahead. Uh, that has been a German discussion for more than 200 years. What art yeah. is for and what role does modernity and later on postmodernity play uh, in the kind of traditional arts? And there has been a very rather German answer to it that can be either liberating and embracing and it can turn into radical anti-modernism, including killing of the artists, in oh. the, it's a drop of a hat. No, thank you. Wow. Well, you know, yeah. um, I'm definitely uh, not for that. But no, I, I, <laughs> I, I, let me come out against that. But the, the uh, yeah. no, but I, uh, it's like I don't understand a lot of it. You know, the, the postmodern way of thinking, you know, I've tried okay. some postmodern novels okay. and I've tried no, um, uh, some modern art and okay. things and I, I just don't quite... I don't connect mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the idea that art can be turned into something um, perverted mm-hmm. and the fear of that has, on the other hand, turned German citizens, German middle-class people, upper-class people into furies. Hmm. And I'm not um, over... Uh, Overestimating the impact, overstating it. No, not at all. Uh, I worked for a while for a German, um, I don't know what university. Uh, I, I got a PhD in linguistics, but I worked for a, a professor with literature science, and he wrote a rather interesting book about the German struggle against modernity from the mid 19th century up to 1945. And mm. he said that there are three rather important figures of argumentation about what art is and what it is for. And he said that art was considered to be important for education or German Bildung, which is much more than education, but I won't go too far to explain it here. Art is important for education, for self-improvement, to become who you are, to become who God or society or the Enlightenment wants you to be. The other aspect is art is of the people, from the people, by the people, something in between the small people and folklore. And the third one is that art should be a mirror of a higher light. It's a rather clumsy translation. Schöner Schein means there's a transcendent truth that should be embodied into works of art, like music, like painting, Mm -hmm. like writing, like poetry, etc. So, and these three figures of argumentation come up under, uh, under any political or societal development. And sometimes they can be embracing and 
as soon as the people who work with these three figures of argumentation are in a state of fear, like the uh, German people after 1918, after the loss of the mm -hmm. First World War, and the yeah. economic deprivation, when the security went away, these figures uh, turn to become excluding figures. There is a Jewish modernity, and the Jewish are our enemy, and this modern music, and all that jazz, etc., etc., etc. It's not only a right-wing argumentation. You can find that on the left uh, side as well. Hmm. Hmm. So as soon as the German bourgeois feels himself threatened, his attitude to art may change at the drop of a hat. And uh, can, I can find some echoes of this discussion in the argumentations of Rabo Kabekian and Dan Gregory. And in so far, Dan Gregory's turn to the fascists is in the end not that much uh, surprising. Yeah. <laughs> All, yeah, although although the, uh, there's one difference between the um, German fascists and the Italian fascists, the Italian fascists in their way had no struggle with the modernity as well. You had the uh, futur uh, futurists uh, as an art form or the um, Italians had no uh, trouble with comics or with jazz music. Right. You know? They were, although they were fascists, they were much more open-minded than the German fascists. Well, they were Italian, you know. They got that southern soul right. or something. I, I, saw, I saw the son of Mussolini play jazz music. Yeah, that. Well, I Romano, mean. Romano Mussolini was a jazz pianist in Europe. <laughs> no shit, really. I've seen him play in Stuttgart. <laughs> well. That's yeah, and so then it's really funny that Dan Gregory goes to them because he hates yeah. modern art so much. Yeah, but he thinks core values like uh, hanging on to God, being mm -hmm. a Catholic, being mm -hmm. in the world, not out of the world, not criticizing, and always looking for the bigger dog uh, on the playground. Yeah, hmm. that yeah. goes hand in hand every so often. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And sad, isn't it? And Italy, yeah. is a, well, yeah. of course, Italy is, of course, a land of the painting, much as Germany can be considered to be the land of the music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because when you were talking about all that, I was thinking, I, I know I don't travel in the kind of circles that would let me know if how Americans say, well, here's what art is for. Um, I, I suppose that's been done, but I just don't know about it. But... I was thinking about um, a new, what's it called? A New History of Art by Paul Johnson. Yeah. Which I love so much that book. And he he doesn't really care for uh, modern, really expressionist modern art. He's, you know, he's a historian. Who's, his opinions are out there. I mean, not out there. I mean, he will let you know what he thinks and it's fine. And um, but what surprised me was he was very open-minded in terms of tattoos. It's ah. like this goes back to the first art. These people are expressing themselves using their bodies, and this is a good thing. And I went, "Wow, I did not expect that from you." Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it, it made me think of the fact that he starts off, of course, like everybody does with the drawings of the paintings in France and the caves and everything of the horses and stuff, which yeah, I had a, and, mm -hmm. yoga. I had it up on heavy Catholic recently, which is what made me think of it. And I was like, and even then we argue about what that was for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah, it's absolutely. clear that, you know, this person died, but we don't know why or how he was memorialized. Probably mm -hmm. other people died in this thing. They'll and I was looking um, when you, the Lesco, if that's how you say it, France. If you go to the website, yeah. 
there's a wonderful video tour that you can take of everything. Oh, really? And as I was, huh? Oh, really? I haven't seen that. Oh, right. yeah, right. yeah. If you, um, I'll send you the link, and we can put the link on the post for this. But mm-hmm. yeah, when you click on it, it'll go tour the cave, and you're, and it's going. Okay, here we are. We're in this spot, and it just starts taking you everywhere and telling you what it is. Cool. And I'm looking at this going. Again, it took me back to that a modern history that I read because it was pointed out there. I was thinking, well, there couldn't have been light in there. How did they get that stuff up there? They had to build scaffolds or have some way to get up there. They had to have all kinds of torches. They had to have people helping them. This is much more than the simple caveman going, I saw a bear. I'm going to paint it here. Yes. It must have been very important to them. Yeah. So, again, you come back to what was that art for? And, you know, of course, the most basic thing is it's an expression of their soul somehow. Yeah. Whether it's education or whatever else. And um, it's it's not sheer fun. Yeah. yeah, that stuff just blows me away, you know, when you see that stuff. And, yeah, it's um, amazing. You know, and it's it amazing. is that communication aspect, I think, to me, is that, you know, here's this person from thousands of years ago, put sure. this on the wall, and here's me looking at it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, making it makes sense of it. It makes you to, to something, yeah. Yeah. It does. Yeah. That's why yeah. I love them. We know what it is. I mm-hmm. know that's a horse. I know that's a huge, you know, mastodon or whatever. I know what these things are. And that's speaking to me over, what is it, 100,000 years or however long it was, mm-hmm. 70,000 years. Whatever, that long enough. Part, it's not going to do that. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm coming down <laughs> on this. That's no, not going to uh, do that. Come down on it. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I like a lot. And to me, the, the furthest I can go is the, I love a lot of the Impressionists. Because they, to me, do what both uh, Dan Gregory and... I don't know why I can't ever remember this guy's name. I guess because I was told him Rabo Rabo trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're between it. It is a picture of people walking down a street, but it's fluid enough. Yes, and they make you work, you know. Uh, They really do make you work, the Impressionists or the Pontillismos. You really have to grab your heart, throw it over the hurdles and say, (laughs) okay, I'm going to... I'm going to put myself into it. I have to create the picture together with you, Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah, that's ex- yes. And you look at those pictures, and they're not that far off from those horses and things in those prehistoric caves. Yep, they're all yep. they're doing the same thing. It's people work towards greater realism as they go forward in time. But and these people are kind of taking it back to the more essential. So that's as far as I can go. The other stuff, I'm like, I get that it's his soul. You know, it's like soul meat, my meat, and all this kind of thing. And I'm like, uh huh, that's fine. But <laughs> if it doesn't say anything to anybody else, I guess it must if people buy it. But I think a lot of that times you get into the cult of, oh, this person bought it, so I'll buy it. Yeah, and sometimes it's they love it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's a question of investment. Have you heard about the uh, Banksy scandal? Hmm. Oh. Uh, I don't know about the scandal. If you mean uh, the one him. that where he shredded the painting, yeah, that one um, I know. Yeah, that yeah, was amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, on one it was amazing, but it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a little degenerated. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I imagine that, that, that yeah, thing got, that you know he he, he says he's uh, whoever Banksy is. You know they're protesting. You know Absolutely. how much these things cost and yep. making a travesty. But you know how much that thing's worth now? Probably. Yes, I know. Ten times what it was worth before he did oh, that. Oh, and capitalism such uh, not a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever. 
Um, no. Capitalism's like all these points of art. It can mm. be beautiful and it can be ugly. Exactly. I mean, it's just. Yeah. But that, that, that aspect, I prefer the documenta. Uh-huh. Oh, well. And this, <laughs> which is what Kurt Vonnegut's saying, right? Yeah, I think he so. He starts off saying, mm. I was prompted to this by the ridiculous amounts of money people spend on these things. Mm. You know, they're overvaluing all of it because they're not yeah. looking at what it's really for, I think, is yeah. is what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. But there is some uh, something rather, I think, um, uh, hypocritical about his attitude toward professional art. I, I seem to recall that there was once a quotation, uh, I don't know in what book, was it here in, on another book, uh, where he said, uh, what happened to the one person who could play guitar good enough for his village in a world where oh, all the I records demonstrate? Yeah, that's a wonderful idea. But on the other hand, Kurt Vonnegut is a professional artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Germans have always, uh, in point of arts, especially in avant-garde arts, like, say, uh, rock music or whatever, had an attitude, well, I knew this band when they were not commercial, then oh, they were yes. really good. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not just the too. Germans, yeah. believe me. <laughs> very, very interesting, you... You <laughs> no, I have to be polite. I have to be That's polite because yeah. uh, I have to buy the records, and it's absolutely an all, uh, absolutely all right if someone who puts a lot of love and work into creating a record. I was once together with a, a professional musician, you know, playing mm-hmm. the lute, playing re, uh, baroque and medieval and Renaissance music, and I lived together with her, and I could hear. Work, 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 work. She said, if I haven't done it 10,000 times, I might forget how to do it uh, while in the concert. I cannot afford that. And if those people get commercial, very much so. I'm all for it. Hmm. Yes. Yep. Why shouldn't they be rewarded for what they're doing? Yeah. And uh, much as I dislike, say, um, Michael Jackson as a public figure. <laughs> yeah. Boy, did he work. Did yes. he work? Did people like Prince work? It's mm-hmm. amazing. Well, and I just watched, because um, I'm going to talk about this, is Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. I don't know if you guys yeah. have seen that. Mm-hmm. I have seen only the trailer, but I know what you mean. Hmm? Yep. It's a great movie, um, a great performance, I think, um, but a great movie. But anyway, but yeah, and that's he is doing what a lot of people won't. Which is, you know, he's the working poor. He's starting on that slide down into having to be homeless. He's got a little boy. And he works the hell out of his life yeah. to, to pull himself up and do something else, just the way that artist does or whatever. He achieves success in the end, which, of course, you know, they're not telling us the story if, if we don't know that already. Um, if uh, to tell us to take us down and kill us with a... Uh, him not making it, I guess that I would think of that as being degenerate, those super depressing movies, but it's, you have to keep trying. And if you keep trying, there's nothing wrong with being rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the capitalist in me speaking. <laughs> yeah. But um, yes, here's that part that you were talking about where he says, um, he's saying, I was born to draw better than most people. Other people are obviously born to sing and dance or explain the stars in the sky or do magic tricks or be leaders or athletes. And he's thinking that God or evolution or whatever arranged things genetically to keep these small groups of people together. And then these other people who are good enough could paint the walls and sing and provide the entertainment. And then when everything got bigger and bigger and bigger, satellite TV and everything from his time took over. And now you have the big entertainment. No one needs the small entertainment anymore. Mm. 
Yep. And it's, so yeah. any kind of talent that's not rewarded in a big way, he says, a moderately gift, gifted person has to keep his or her gifts all bottled up until, in a manner of speaking, he or she gets drunk at a wedding and tap dances on the coffee table like Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> we oh, have yeah. a name for him or her. We call him or her an exhibitionist. Mm. How do yeah. we reward such an exhibitionist? We say to him or her the next morning, wow, were you ever drunk last night? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. I do remember that. And those yep. are the people who, and I was struck by that because I thought, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. It is. All those yeah. people would have had a level of fame in their local community before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now they just weren't good enough to make it. So they are now selling real estate or doing whatever. Yeah. Although things are changing a little because you can see lots of um, people with a, and I don't mean this in any way uh, offensive, with a mediocre talent doing their stuff on YouTube and be happy <laughs> yeah. about it. And someone says, yeah, you did a fine version of a Steely Dan song. And yeah. yes, maybe uh, the B-flat didn't work that well. But anyway, it was fun. Go, go mm, ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this I find rather charming about uh, Oh, YouTube. interesting. Yeah. That, that's or interesting. Or self-publishing that, their books. That this, you know. whatever. Yeah, be, being able to yeah. find. And, I mean, it's like this podcast, for heaven's sakes. You know, <laughs> being able to find this niche audience. No, no, audience, that's an art form. That doesn't this, count. That's an art form. <laughs> <laughs> being able to find your audience, right? Yeah, you know, using absolutely. the internet to find those people. So, hello, no, people. Um, hello, people. Right, I'm all for mm-hmm. it. I'm all for it. There are some persons doing amazing things on guitar when trying to sound like the complete Steely Dan band. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, and it works in a way, and uh, it makes it gives me tons of pleasure to. Um, uh, we in Cologne have uh, some. Um, there's a rather shabby bar. And um, they have once a month, they have something called the open wound, the open wonder. And anybody and his brother can perform there. Open mic. Yeah, yeah open it's, mic. It's yeah. Open mic is, uh, of course, that's a new expression, but it's called the open wound here. Uh-huh. It's just okay. uh, the yeah. name for this, uh, this look in that location, you know. It's just a sort of um, okay. rather uh, tasteless joke. Mm-hmm. And, oh, boy, are, and boy, okay. are there people on stage. Heavens, you cannot stand it uh, without getting drunk. <laughs> it's tons of fun. They have an excellent tequila uh, selection there. And <laughs> after one hour of tequila, everything is starting to sound like the Beatles. Uh, no, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. But well, know, that's everybody, everybody, like you say, it's you don't mind watching it. And you might yeah. even enjoy some of it. And they get to have a good time. Absolutely. What's the harm in that? They try to, um, what, what you call it? They hone their skills. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Uh, Apart from playing an instrument, to go on stage is something else entirely. It's very brave. So the open wound yeah. is a great name for it. Agreed. And that's what yeah. I like on it. <laughs> well, don't you think also this is another place where you find your community? Mm-hmm. If you're brave enough yeah. to do it and you want to come back and do it again, you start to see a few of the same people there. Yes. Or the same entertainers. It's like um, yeah. listening to somebody like Jerry Seinfeld reminisce about doing uh, comedy when he's got started. Yeah. yeah. There's a show called Comedians and Cars Having Coffee. I don't know mm. if you've ever heard yeah. of it, but I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think now it's on Netflix, but it used to. It started off on some little 
station anyway, but it's Jerry Seinfeld and he'll call up his comedian friends and they'll get in the car and show him and he's, they're having coffee. And a lot of them are people talking about, oh yeah. And when I got started, it was like this. And it's all that kind of an experience because of, you're watching the others, you're hunting your craft, but you're also building your community without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And do you know the uh, bonus for the audience? What? We can say we knew them when they were not commercial. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when they only had four clicks on YouTube and two of them were by mom. <laughs> That's, That's great. perfect. Yeah. That's fun. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, funds are fun that people do it. Yeah. Well, guys, I, th- I think we've, uh, we've reached the end here. Right. Yeah. And we didn't even have a synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> no. Everybody has to. If you've been hung on this long, you have to have read it already. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, but thank you, Mark. Thank you for coming. And that yes. was oh my just gosh. fun. Thank you so I enjoyed much. myself immensely. Yes, this is great. Although I did talk too much, I cut something out. No, no, no. You did <laughs> no, not. You That's did why not you were here. So I love it. Right. Okay. Yeah. I loved it very much. You'll hear from me on the usual on the usual um channels i guess wonderful and i'll hear from you yes thank you so much for inviting me it was a tons of fun thank you what is coming up next for us what's the what's episode 201 oh 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 are we ready for dancing oh gosh are we ready to go to bollywood everyone (laughs) here we go (laughs) yes all right three cons which i will explain next time (laughs) oh yeah if you like bollywood I Try one it. time to find Apnadesh. <laughs> Try what? Apnadesh. It's a Bollywood movie. You'll have to spell it for me. A P N A, Apna. Uh huh. D E S H. Okay. For a minute, I thought you were saying Agnipath. Baj Bajranji by John. Is that close enough? So, okay. <laughs> Trying Salman Khan. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> From someone who knows how to say it. All right. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, we got that. So thank you. Everybody. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Thank you, <laughs> this was fun. All very bye. best. See you in a couple weeks, everyone. Bye bye, all. Bye. Bye. bye.